And what I realized is that I don't want to go around trying to chase people down and then convert them, have some pseudo-religious experience trying to get them to come along with my way of thinking. I need to create an infrastructure which is scalable and attracts the type of people that are already interested in the type of investments that I have. And that's when everything clicked where I don't want to be hunting. I want to be hunted. I want to be pursued by potential investors. Hi, you're listening to Ready to Scale, the second season of That Really Happened. This season is focused on APS of real estate, asset, process, and strategy. Each guest on the show will reveal the assets they invest in and why they chose to do so. From multifamily to industrial, self-storage, mobile home parks, and more. Then, they'll uncover the processes, tools, and systems they've used to build multi-million dollar businesses. And finally, they'll uncover new, unique, and exciting strategies to invest in real estate. From co-working to buy and hold, fix and flips, co-living, and much, much more. Now let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to Ready to Scale. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host, broadcasting from sunny California. When I'm not behind the mic, I buy multifamily properties with passive investors who partner with me on my deals. So on Ready to Scale, this is our second season here, and we focus on the business side of real estate, namely three key concepts that I like to call APS of real estate. Asset, process, and strategy. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a minute to rate us. It's really important to us. And don't forget to like and follow along with me on social media as well. Okay, so today I'm starting a new tradition. Every month, I will give away one free document that you can use and that can help you scale your real estate journey. So this month, you can download the document called Determine Your Investment Criteria. This document would help you focus and choose the real estate investment that is right for you. You can find the document at www.ellieperlman.com slash resources. So again, you can find it at www.ellieperlman.com slash resources. So on today's show, we have Hunter Thompson. And if you think this name rings a bell, it's because he was a guest previously, actually twice on the show. So just as a recap, Hunter is a full-time real estate investor, founder of ASIM Capital, a private equity firm based out of Los Angeles, California, and host of the Cashflow Connections real estate podcast. Hunter has helped more than 300 investors allocate capital to over 100 properties. He has personally raised more than $30 million in private capital. Hunter has been featured in Forbes, Globe, Inside Self Storage, and Sites on the Forbes Real Estate Council with me as well. So his podcast has featured prominent guests like Grant Cardone, Oren Claff, Jim Rogers, and a variety of other entrepreneurs, economists, and authors. He has been a guest speaker on over 50 shows and has shared the stage with Peter Schiff, Doug Casey, Gene Epstein, and a variety of others. He's launching a new book, Raising Capital for Real Estate, How to Attract Investors, Establish Credibility, and Fund Deals, which will be, be, will be available on December this year. And we're going to talk about this book as well. And, and Hunter is going to share a few golden nuggets from the book. And as I mentioned, this is the first time that I'm having him on the show. You can find him on episode 22 and 
is also speaking as part of our bonus track. So I would like to welcome back Hunter to the show. I'm really excited to have you here for the third time. Hey, Hunter. Hey, thanks again. I'm actually really happy to come on, especially given the second season, all of the talk things we're going to talk about today are really building that scalable infrastructure. So I think the listeners are going to get a lot out of it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it's it's really interesting what you're doing. Usually guests on my show are either focused on self-storage or multifamily or, you know, office, but you actually do you handle multiple types of assets and you're diversify basically. I'm curious before we get into that if you can kind of share with us how you got to do what you do today, how you started your company. Yeah. So I mean, back in 2011, which is when I really started getting into real estate, it was a really favorable time to get into the market. Obviously, valuations were really compressed, but at the same time, anyone that was doing it back then knows it's much easier to say that now than it was back then in the sense that it was actually terrifying. So imagine going out to your friends and family and saying, hey, I'm starting a real estate company in the heart of the most significant real estate collapse in the history of the United States. It wasn't, oh, wow, great. Blood's in the street. Go and invest. It was, you know, no one's going to invest with you. But the other benefit to the fact that prices were down was that there were incredibly talented, sophisticated operating partners, people who oversee the operational side of the business, many of whom couldn't raise money for their deals because everyone was terrified which is actually why the prices were coming down. And so there was an interesting opportunity to, if you were investing significantly, you could build high quality, high caliber relationships with operating partners across a variety of sectors and relationships that I wouldn't have been able to curate in today's environment because they have access to capital. So I really took advantage of the fact that the prices were down and that many of these operating partners needed capital. And so I basically took a diversified approach, but all within the recession-resistant real estate assets. Now, that's something that's kind of in trend to say at this point. And the reason for that is that we're nearing the end of the cycle and people are really concerned about an oncoming recession. Well, from my perspective, it's always a good time to be investing in recession-resistant real estate because when things are down and the capital markets are contracting, you invest in real estate assets, which have an inverse correlation with the overall economy. Most example of that is the mobile home park business. The worse the economy does, the better the mobile home park business does, or at least more demand there is for it. But on the other side of that, if the economy is booming and the capital markets are loose, you can raise rents more aggressively. You can get debt more inexpensively or at least more readily available. So you're kind of getting the best of both worlds. So I'm always happy to invest in those types of deals, regardless of the stage of the cycle. Yeah, I could not agree more. And I find it interesting that you invest not only in one asset class, but you invest in self-storage and multifamily and in office. Can you talk a little bit about the reason why you invest in multiple types of investments instead of just, you know, focusing on one kind, one type of investment. Yeah. So, I mean, even in that you mentioned retail, office, multifamily, mobile home parks, all of these sectors of real estate are in their own ecosystem to a certain degree. So, you know, three years ago, all this headwinds were taking place in the retail sector. And anytime you would talk about retail, people would be really skittish, but the cap rates hadn't really changed, like in the sense that there was a terror in the marketplace, but valuations hadn't started decreasing yet. Now that has really taken place. We've seen about a 250 basis point cap rate expansion in the retail sector. So from my perspective, there's going to be an opportunity in retail. Well, right now, if you're talking about A-class multifamily, 
a lot of those assets are really overheated and there's a lot of development in multifamily in terms of A-class. So if I was an A-class multifamily operator, what am I supposed to do? Sit on my feet or go to Australia for a couple of months? I mean, I like to intelligently participate in the market in all types of the, the cycle, appropriately, of course. But that diversification has allowed me to do that. And of course, all the other things that go along with being diversified. But I think being able to constantly be invested is how you actually generational wealth in the United States in the real estate business. And so this diversified approach has allowed me to do that. Excellent. So you're, you're basically saying I'm diversifying because I'm able to keep investing and I'm, I'm adjusting my investment and I'm picking the right asset that it, the asset that is right for where we are right now in a cycle. So I don't need yes. to wait, I can still keep investing. I think that's really interesting. And so when it comes to the, the investments, the type of investments that you're involved with today, what is the unique benefit of each of them? If you can, you know, just mention, so, you know, because I'm curious, I obviously know what, what is the, the benefit of multifamily, but it will be interesting to hear it from your perspective, same for self-storage and, and office as well. I'll rattle off some really quickly. So you're familiar with multifamily. I particularly am compelled by class B and class C multifamily right now. And I know you're sympathetic to that as well. With self-storage, generally speaking, the product is used when people are going through some sort of transitional period. And a lot of those transitional periods can be brought on by recessions. So you get the recession resistant component there. Another thing that's interesting about self-storage is that it's inexpensive to build. Now, for a lot of people, that's a big turnoff. Now, for me, what that means to me is that there's always an opportunity in self-storage because there's the general economy, which goes in its ebbs and flows, but the self-storage market goes in its ebbs and flows as well. Developers love to overdevelop that product. So you can be really cautious about participating in the market, finding the right markets that are undersupplied. Then if they get oversupplied, developers typically aren't as good as operating the self-storage businesses as some of the operating partners that we partner with. So they want to get rid of the product really quickly. They're worried about that construction loan coming due. And that creates need for borrowers or buyers, sometimes in the market where there's not other motivated buyers. So I like those types of opportunities. Um, with the mobile home park business, you're on the other side of the spectrum. There's basically no development of mobile home park business. So that can be really compelling as well. It's basically a coupon clipper where it's a very simplistic asset class. You're basically supposed to raise rents, decrease expenses. But at the end of the day, the fact that they can't build new ones is very, very compelling from an investor's perspective. I mean, you have this unbelievable supply demand to seek equilibrium. So it's just important to do that. Now with retail, right now, if you say interviewed a lot of people, if you mention retail, you'll see 99% of investors head to the moon. They'll be terrified of this. Well, I mean, how many times in your career, in my career, has when every investor said that they won't do just one thing, that's been the one thing where there's been an opportunity for arbitrage. And so that's really right it is right now. Are there headwinds facing retail? Absolutely. But are there headwinds facing Ralph's or Vaughn's? Not really. Are there headwinds facing martial arts studios or fast food restaurants or nail salons? Not really. So what if you have a retail sector filled a center filled with those types of tenants, completely unrelated to the challenges of Toys R Us or Circuit City. So I like to find those opportunities where everyone's looking left and go right. Now, in real estate right now, it's hard to do that. But in retail, you know, when the fear is there, there's an opportunity for arbitrage. Um, I also like assisted living a lot. I am also a big proponent of debt, but it's always about, you know, who's operating the business. And that's why we're kind of uniquely positioned We've curated these relationships and then leveraged those relationships, economies of scale, access to brokers, all those things that go along with that 
to stay diversified and intelligently participate. Yeah, I cannot agree more. I think it's really important to have, you know, those insights and understanding of how each asset class, you know, how each of them is working and know how to take advantage of it in the right time in the market. So Hunter, let's move to the process. So I know that you, your company uses online automated process when it comes to onboarding, you know, and when investors are looking to invest, everything is automated. Can you talk a little bit about what is it exactly that you automate and how you do that? Absolutely. So, I mean, I'll start with a quick story as to why this is even important. I mean, when I started investing in the mobile home park business back in 2011, 2012, I was blown away with how advantageous it was. And I thought, oh my gosh, now that I have proved that this works with my own money, I'm going to go out and share this with my friends and family. And boy, are they going to be excited about the fact that you can generate these types of returns with this risk. And so, like I said, I'd proven a little bit of a track record. I created a luncheon where my friends and family were going to come They all had to be accredited investors to attend, and they're allowed to bring a plus one to this event. 30 people came. There's probably at least $30 million of net worth in this room. I was very knowledgeable about the real estate sector. I was very knowledgeable at the mobile home park business. And I did this 45-minute presentation. And at the end, I passed out a sheet of paper so that people could write down how much they were interested in investing in, and then turn the piece of paper over and turn it into me. The total I raised from that presentation was $0, not a dollar, no one. And the reason why is that all the reasons I thought it was so interesting and novel and wow, mind-blowing was exactly why that they were like, this sounds like fraud, number one. Number two, I'm not interested. You know, I've never, I'm a grown adult. I've never invested in real estate before because I haven't been looking for these types of deals. And so, I mean, I'm kind of fast forwarding a little bit as an entrepreneur you know, to say that I was heartbroken, I mean, it doesn't even, I was terrified. You know, I thought I was going to be successful in the sector and this is a big red flag. And so I had to take some time to kind of contemplate how am I going to overcome this and why did it go so wrong? And what I realized is that I don't want to go around trying to chase people down and then convert them, have some pseudo religious experience trying to get them to come along with my way of thinking. I need to create an infrastructure which is scalable and attracts the type of people that are already interested in the type of investments that I have. And that's when everything clicked where I don't want to be hunting. I want to be hunted. I want to be pursued by potential investors. And so if you're listening to this and you have a real estate business and you're looking for an exercise or a key takeaway, go home, block out an hour to an hour and a half, write down a hundred potential topics of articles that you could write about your business. From those 100, organize them in a scale of 1 to 10 in terms of how appropriate you think they'll be or how good you think they'll be. Put them in Excel and write an article about the first 10 topics. And that is the beginning of that infrastructure. I cannot tell you that it's the name of my company is ASEM. It's short for asymmetric. The reason that it's like this is that I look for asymmetric opportunities. The downside is so limited to take the time to complete that task. And then for the rest of your life, Anytime it comes up in conversation with an investor, you can say, you know, it's really interesting. I'll send you an article I wrote about the topic. That is a mind blowing thing because this is not, I'm not talking about going from a close ratio of 10% to 15%, which by the way, would be great. I'm talking about going from 10% to, I'm talking about 150X 
not a matter of fractional. I'm talking about you've opened the door for a completely quantifiably different a breed of investor and number of investor. And there's a million different things that can go on, but that's the beginning of building that infrastructure. A podcast is a great way to do it as well. You know, if you just research real estate podcasts, have a virtual assistant, sort by number of comments, go to the bottom where there's only three or four comments on a particular topic and reach out and say, look, I've been in real estate for three years. I'm interested in this topic and I'd love to come and add some value. Now, the research, the, um, excuse me, the podcasts that have two or three comments, for example, they're going to be interested in having someone on to add value. And you work your way up. And by the way, I got to give a shout out to Ellie. Those comments are really critical. So if you've listened to the show and you enjoy it, make sure to leave a comment for her because I know she's added a lot of value. Thank you. And Hunter, I think you're absolutely right. You're basically flipping the relationship. You're not going after investors. You don't need to reach out and, and, and do that. It's really an ineffective way. You want to make sure that you're maximizing the time that, you're, that you spend with investors, with those who are actually interested in investing. And by creating content, by providing value without asking for anything in return, you know, podcasts, writing articles, being there on stages and share your knowledge. Absolutely. People will look you up. They will look you up. They will Google you. They will reach out to you. You know, most likely it's, you know, I'm, I'm sure if they Google your name, you know, Hunter Thompson, they're, they're going to find your website pretty easily. And this way you can really reach, I think you touched on a very interesting point. You said that you expanded you know, your reach, you know, to people that you would never meet otherwise, because you're limited to your geography or your current connections, your school. I think that's huge. This is how you automate the process. Any other parts of the process that you want to talk about before we, we move to the strategy part? There's millions of ways to do this, but one of them, the key thing is think about this, create content and repurpose it as many times as possible and drive traffic to it. And so if anything that you can do to make the business more scalable is going to help you in the long run. So I'll give you a great example. People ask questions about UBIT all the time. Okay. This is a tax you have to pay when you invest in real estate through a self-directed or tax deferred account. How many times have you had that conversation? Write an article about it, confirm that it's all correct with the CPA, and then blast it out every single time. And something like that's going to save you so much time, but also the credibility is going to 10x your results. And I'm not saying this to brag, just to kind of inspire people that are kind of thinking about this. You know, we've had investors come to our portal, listen to hours of our podcast, sit on our mailing list for two years, never communicating, and then one day they wire us a quarter million dollars. And that's, by the way, not a result of them being unsophisticated. They just understand so much about us. They know everything about what goes on in different topics and all these different things. And it can help you. And by the way, that's, that's not something special, right? This is the state of the economy. Millennials are growing in terms of their net worth. They've grown up with the internet and they feel comfortable with their relationships electronically. And so we're there to benefit from that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think the beauty in automation is that you can scale much faster. You can be smart with your time. And it's just a, a much more effective way. I remember the first time that I raised capital, it took me so long. And then once you understand it, it's, it's like a game. Once, once you understand the rules, everything is much easier. So Hunter, I want to move to the last part of our conversation and talk about strategy. And, you know, we, we started talking about capital raise and, you know, the book that you're writing is about capital raise and, you know, how you can attract investors, how you can 
establish credibility. And this book is coming out, you know, pretty soon. Can you talk a little bit about what are the top maybe three tips that you have for investors or for syndicators who are just starting out and want to know how they can build their credibility and attract investors to, you know, to invest with them? Well, I'll tell you something right now. First of all, there's a book called Pitch Anything, which if you're listening to this and you haven't read it yet, is an unbelievable good way to spend your time. One of the key takeaways there, which I allude to and talk about directly in my book, is ensuring that, you know, going back to our conversation about scalability, try to systematize everything and then make it clear what your system is. This is a great way to establish credibility as well. So if I'm going to get on a call with investor, I need to, from a systematic standpoint, I need to understand why am I getting on this call? And there's basically two options. There's an introductory call and a due diligence call. And I suggest that you break it down like that. So if you're having an introductory call, this is a 30-minute call, and your goal is to introduce yourself, find out a bit about the investor, what their motivation to invest is, share your own motivation to invest. And I also like to add my last straw moment, the moment that I realized I needed to make a change financially. And then tie in what they are motivated to invest, why they're concerned about the nature of their current portfolio, confirm that their fears are accurate, and also say, and guess what? You're in good hands because I have a solution for that problem. Here's our investment thesis. Now, sometimes these introductory calls can get into a little bit of questions about what's going on with your particular investment that's available, but I would always stick to that 30-minute slot. And even if you don't have a call afterwards, you have to insist that the call be kept to that 30 minutes. Why? Because your time is valuable and you need to fill that calendar up. It's not filled up already. It needs to be filled up. It's ensure that at the first call is establishing credibility and they know that your time is valuable. Then if they do need an additional call, think about it as a due diligence call. This is somewhere between a 30 minute and a 60 minute call to answer the questions of the investor. And the point here is to really confirm that the level of care and due diligence that you've put into in terms of this particular offering is far above and beyond what they would do, even if they had all the time in the world, right? It's to show them that regardless of even if they had in limited time and unlimited resources, they wouldn't have thought of it to the level of detail that you have. And then here's something that's really cool I like to include. Basically, just making them sure that your assumptions are conservative and you're putting yourself in a position to deliver. I also like to include something in which a way you've done that, but didn't include in any of the documents. So like in the self-storage business, for example, ancillary income is a good example of that. It doesn't really move the needle in terms of the NOI, but if you can just say, and by the way, we didn't include any merchandise sales because we're going to have some, but it doesn't really matter. Investors love hearing stuff like that. You're just trying to do that. And then of course, ending the conversation by making it clear what the funding timeline is, the commitment timeline, and assuring them that this deal is going to be oversubscribed just like your last one was. Those little tips right there are really going to help you. But the point is just ensuring that they know they're in the system and they're just one of many investor really increase that credibility. Excellent. That These are such great tips and I'm actually implementing some of them, but it's always interesting to hear, you know, you definitely added value and, and I learned a lot. So that's really interesting. And basically all these things you, you realize and you learned along the way as you were dealing with more investors, raising more capital. This is the system that you created for yourself or your business? Oh, that's right. I mean, I remember the first time and I remember the name of the first investor that said, hey, I read this article. I thought it was really good. I'd love to invest. What do you do? 
oh yeah, well typically what we do is, uh, hmm, we got to make this up. And that's where the <laughs> started. <laughs> Excellent. So one last question before we go through the lightning round questions. What is the number one, you know, common mistake that you see that syndicators do when they try to raise capital and you can help them avoid this mistake? Man, it's kind of, I have a love-hate relationship with my answer. I'm just going to be honest. I feel like relying on your friends and family is a crutch because even if it succeeds at first, it may get you to 300,000. It may get you to half a million, may get you that first million dollars that every capital raiser wants, but it's not going to get you to 50. What you need to get to 50 is you need hundreds of investors that are interested in investing 60 and 70 and hundred thousand dollars every single time you have a deal. Those are the ones that actually help you scale the business. So your mom and your aunt, they're going to throw you $25,000 because they love you. It's not going to help you scale. Now, I just want to say it's important to reach out to those people too, especially when you're getting started, but focus on building that infrastructure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think your book is definitely going to, you know, help build that, you know, structure and, and build your strategy. And there's, there are many things, there are many ways to raise capital and every person, every syndicator finds their own way of doing it, but automation is key. And that's, you know, that's the name of our, our, se- our second season, Ready to Scale. It's all about scaling. It's all about, and without automation, you can't really scale. That was a uh, very, very helpful. Thank you so much, Hunter. I really appreciate it. We have arrived to our lightning round questions part. Are you ready? Let's do it. I'll All keep right. it short, I promise. <laughs> All right, Hunter. So what's your, your favorite hobby? I like to work out. That's my favorite way to do it. Done. Can I leave this interview and go do it right now? <laughs> Same here, actually. All right, what's the first thing that people don't know about you? I'll just keep it with the working out. I have a 415-pound deadlift at only 158 pounds, which is cool if you know anything about powerlifting. It's not elite, but it's cool. I'm proud of it. <laughs> wow. Wow. All right. Um, what do you wish you had known when you started out? Oh my goodness. So much. I focus too much on cash flow. I was focused too much on cash flow, and, I, and it's really important to understand if you can raise, if you can add $100,000 of NOI to a property, if you do that to a 10 cap, it's worth one thing in terms of value. If you can do that to a five cap, it's twice as valuable. And I didn't really consider that effectively. Interesting. All right. And what's your number one advice to a real estate investor who wants to scale their business? And it's probably going to be just listen to whatever we talked about earlier. (laughs) I'll tell you this right now. So free will or like relying on your own will is something that's limited and eventually you'll run out of willpower and it'll stop your momentum if you haven't put a structure that helps you snowball your career. So the way that I really like to do that is surround yourself with mentors that will help you propel your career when you run out of that willpower. And I do talk about a little bit in the book in terms of inspiring high performers to help you and some of the ways that you can do that. Because man, if you can just show that sense of urgency, people are attracted to that because so few people show that sign. And the people that do are typically uh, very successful. So just getting things done quickly, I'm just like, I'm drawn to help people do that. And anytime that I've done that, it's been able to attract some people that have helped me along the way. All right. And so your new book is coming up. So we're recording this. Today is October 1st. It's coming up in December. Uh, Is there any link or any way that people can get on the wait list and purchase the book? Where where can they find it? That's right. So raisingcapitalforrealestate.com 
and you can pre-order the book. And if you pre-order the book, you get a special speech about raising money from high net worth investors. And so it'll be a lot of stuff that we've covered today, but we'll add some additional detail as well. All right. Perfect. Hunter, thank you so much for being on the show again. Last you know, question, if uh, investors or syndicators want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me at asymcapital.com, asymcapital.com, or you can check our podcast out at Cashflow Connections Real Estate Podcast. All right. Perfect. Thank you so much, Hunter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.